Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking to you about uh, Gideon. Uh, I love Gideon in the uh, Old Testament. Uh, you know, this last year, you've heard me talk a lot about, you know, challenging men to be real men and empowering them to be real men and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I've, I've made reference to, there's this movie that I love. There's, there's a couple of inappropriate spots you just need to fast forward through. But uh, from a guy's perspective, it's called 300, and I, I love this thing. Actually, um, we're thinking about maybe editing out the inappropriate stuff and then having kind of a, a movie night here where you guys can come, bring your wives, whatever, and and, uh, and watch this movie because it is so cool. It is just a manly man movie about these guys who risked everything and sacrificed everything to stop this invading army. And uh, there's some cool clips in it. You know, this when this one clip I saw that the uh, guy says, the invading army says, we will send so many arrows into the sky, it will block out the sun. Trying to put fear in these guys' hearts. And the guy's response was, great, then we'll be able to fight in the shade. You know, I mean, it, it is so cool. They would not be afraid. They did, it was, so anyway, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about this. but this uh, um, In the Bible, there is a story of 300 men who helped save a nation. The nation of Israel. And I want to take a look at it this morning. It's the story of Gideon. Um, now... Uh, to set this up a little bit for you, Gideon was uh, uh, sitting in uh, in his home. Actually, he's hiding out in the wine press, kind of like what we'd call the basement. You know, he's kind of hiding out in a cellar uh, because he's afraid. Um, the Midianites have invaded. They're in town. They're kicking butt, taking names. He's freaking out. And he's hiding and crouching in fear. And an angel appears to him and says, you are a mighty warrior. And he goes... Who are you talking to, man? I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm scared to death. He says, I belong to the least tribe in our nation. I belong to the least family in the tribe. And I'm the least guy in the family. I am a nobody. I am a nothing. You ever feel like that? Some of you sadly were told you were that when you were growing up. But uh, this guy felt just he was a nothing. He was on the least of the least. But yet God treated him with huge respect even before he earned it. Now I've talked to you about this over the last year uh, to you ladies challenging you about how to deal with men and that when, a way that you unlock the potential in men and in your young sons and stuff is to treat them with great respect even when they don't deserve it. Now most women will say, well I'll treat him with respect when he starts acting right. You know, uh, but the results from that are very poor. A lot of women try to use insult to uh, motivate the men in their lives, uh, thinking that this will spur them to become something greater, but it does not. You treat men with insult, uh, you'll only get a bad result. It brings out the worst in them, not the best. What men need is this unconditional respect. Now, you girls get this because most women desire unconditional love. You understand the idea of unconditional. Most women want to be treated right and loved whether they look pretty for the day or not. Whether they're having a good hair day or a bad hair day. Whether their nerves are on edge or not. They understand, you should love me no matter what. You get that. But a lot of you have a real hard time transferring that to your husbands. With unconditional respect. Treating him with respect even when he doesn't earn it. And in fact, we see through the Bible, and Gideon is one example, where God constantly was unlocking the potential of men by treating them with great respect before they ever earned it. And it transformed these men. And in fact, this is what happens with Gideon, where God comes and 
calls him and treats him with great respect as a mighty warrior, calling him things that, that he wasn't yet. But yet, this is how he became this. Uh, we've known this for, you know, hundreds of years in this country. I mean, you know, there's the old saying, behind every successful man is, is a woman who believed in him. Uh, and it's just a truism. Why is that? Because women who uh, really believe in their husband's dreams, even before they get there, these are the women who empower men. Because most men are haunted by thoughts of self-doubt and not sure of themselves. And they kind of feel like, you know, they're frauds and, and, and someone's going to find out I'm really a nothing. And, and, and men, by and large, struggle. About 75% of men in surveys uh, admit they feel these things. And instead of coming to their home where these voices are silenced, sadly, many of them come to homes where those voices are amplified. And the women closest to them remind them that you are a nothing. You are a failure. You're a bum. You're lazy. What's the matter with you? Can't you pick up the laundry? No, I can't. You know, they insult guys trying to motivate them and it doesn't help them. But the ones who treat them with respect see this miracle transformation in their lives. Well, Gideon goes on now and he starts earning the respect of the nation. God treats him with respect. He starts becoming something that he wasn't before. And all of a sudden, now the nation rallies around Gideon because now they're going to take on the Midianites. And we pick it up in the book of Judges, chapter 7, verse 1. And Gideon is going off the battle now with 32,000 men. Now, back in those days, you want a lot of guys. It was hand-to-hand combat. The bigger the guy, the better you were. Today, you know, you got guns and stuff. It helps little guys like me get on an even playing field. You know what I'm saying? It's a great equalizer. But back then, no bombs, no guns, knives. Clubs, sticks, spears, mano y mano. And uh, the, the Midianites was a huge army. And even at 32,000, these guys were un- outmanned, undernumbered. But yet, Gideon had rallied these men to believe in him because he was becoming this incredible warrior that God had called him to be. So we pick up the story. It says, early in the morning, Jerob Baal, which is actually, that's Gideon's, um, there, they, they called him this. Some of his critics started calling him this because he went through and he started destroying some of the Baal idols and stuff. Uh, anyway, so Gideon and all his men were camped at the uh, spring of Herod. Uh, the camp of Midian, their enemies, were north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. Well, the Lord says to Gideon, now check this out, 32,000 against this huge army. And God says to him, I, I got a problem, you have too many guys. What? Yeah, you got too many guys for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that they did it all by themselves, their own strength. He says, now announce to the people, anybody who's nervous, anybody who trembles, anyone who thinks they don't really feel good about our odds here, just tell them to go home. All right? So, what happens? 22,000 guys leave. Holy cow, this is a bad day. You're going to war. Anybody nervous about this? See ya. 22,000 guys leave. Now you're down to 10,000. Oh my goodness. I'm sure the guys, that the 10 that were left were thinking like, what's happening? What's going on? Where y'all going? And Gideon rallies them. Okay, we can do this. 10,000 men were manly men. God's with us. We can kick butt. So the 10,000 men rally together. But then the Lord says to Gideon, verse 4, still too many guys. Oh man. What do you mean too many? We don't have enough. He says, no, there's too many. I want you to take them down to the water and I'm going to sift these guys out there. He says, if I say this one shall go with you, then he'll go. But if I say that this one shall not go with you, then he shall not go. 
So Gideon took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Here's the analogy. These guys come down. They're thirsty. Finally some water. All the guys who drop down on the thing. Those guys, he said, don't keep these guys. Okay. Now the other guys got down on, on their knees and they lapped up the water. And God said, take, take those guys. What's the difference? The, the guys who knelt down stayed alert. They kept looking. They were involved in something greater than their immediate need. I've, I've been talking to you about this. Uh, you know, God blesses you and gives you seed that you can sow into other people's lives. But sadly, most people just, you know, they, they, they suck up all their seed. They have nothing to be able to give to others. That's a trap. You don't want to get into that. It's okay. Now notice, they both got the water. See, God wants to bless your needs. He wants you to take care of you. He gets that. But not to the point where it's only about you and you forget about others. So, he gets these guys, puts them through this little test. So, that's the plan. And then he looks around and only 300 guys do it right. And the rest of them got on their knees to drink. Oh, man. Now we're down to 300. All the other cats are leaving. You start with 32,000, you're now down to three. And you would think, I mean, he's trying to follow God's directions, but sometimes God's directions will freak you out. Sometimes God will ask you to do things that don't make sense to you in the natural. You say, well, that's not the way. You you know, the way that you you get, you don't give, that doesn't make any sense. You got to keep everything, you got to get as much as you can, that's how you get. And God says, no, I want you to give. And, and, And our head goes, ah, you can't do it that way. God tells you to put uh, him first. Die to yourself and then you'll have life. Well, nobody wants to die to themselves. We all, you know, we're selfish by nature. We just want what we want. Gimme, 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 gimme. And God is trying to tell us, no, 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 no. Stop doing it that way. The way that you can get is by dying first. I tell, it messes with your head. But better to follow the directions and do it right than to fight against God's directions and, and do it wrong. It's always best to follow the directions. I, um, as, as most of you know, I'm a grandfather, and I have three little boys, uh, and I, I love these little rascals. And uh, I, uh, a few months ago, I got a cotton candy machine, because that would make Grandpa very popular. And uh, but, but I got I got one of these little cotton candy machines. It wasn't very much money, uh, but it was almost like a Barbie doll toy or something. It took forever. It took like 45 minutes to make one cone of candy cone and a candy cane. I'm just and I finally I got so tired of. It, I said, I want a real cotton candy machine so I started looking I looked for months and checking the internet and stuff because some of them were pretty expensive and I finally found one and uh, you know I saw the picture of it I, I assumed it was going to be like the little one that I had I didn't read the dimensions so <laughs> so I ordered this cotton candy machine and, and I come home and there's these two gigantic boxes in front of my door and I'm thinking what is this and and uh I open it up, and this thing, actually, I open it up, it was huge. It was, the, the tub is like this big around. I open it up, and I went, ah, and I closed it. And my wife said, what's in there, a naked lady or something? I said, I said uh, no, 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 no. She says, what's it, nothing, nothing. And she comes over, and she looks, and she goes, and she starts laughing at me, making fun of me. Good grief, that's huge. I said, I know. She says, didn't you see how big it was? I said, the picture didn't look that big. She's, 
she said, didn't you look at the dimensions? No, I didn't. So anyway, so I took this downstairs and, uh, and I set it up and I got this like gigantic cotton candy machine down there. Well, when I bought the thing, it, it, it had this little thing, you know, this plastic cover is recommended for the machine. And I thought, well, I don't need, you know, the plastic cover is more money. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to make that much. I just a couple of things of cotton candy, right? That's all I got to do, and I'll be all right. So I, I, I take some sugar, and I put it in the thing, and then I flip the thing on, and it heats up, and cotton candy just starts flying out of this thing, and it's covering my head and my glasses, and I can't see, and my arm's covered in cotton candy, and I'm trying to keep up with the machines, and the thing's huge. I go, and big things of cotton candy are flying. It looks like spider webs going everywhere. Like we're being invaded with, from spiders from hell. And I was just like, ah! And, and finally I get done. And I got this gigantic cone of cotton candy. I'm covered in cotton candy. And I go up and I show my wife. I said, I said, it works. And... Uh, of course, she's laughing her butt off, and I'm and I'm covered with cotton candy. And uh, anyway, I ordered the top. So <laughs> better better to follow the directions. You know, you try and cut corners. It doesn't always work so well. Certainly true in the kingdom of God. Don't don't cut directions with Jesus. So anyway, so the Lord says to Gideon in verse seven, He says, "Lux, with these three hundred guys that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand." Let all the other guys go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites, you know, these other, you know, 9,700 guys, sent them home, and uh, sent them to their tents, but kept the 300, who took over, over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. So everybody left, well, basically just a bunch of guys, with, there were a bunch of trumpets and stuff laying around, because, you know, everybody was gone. Well, so then this is his plan. He divides uh, the 300 men into three companies, so he got 100 each, and he placed trumpets... And, and empty jars with the handles of uh, all of them with torches inside. So, um, so the plan is everybody's going to get a trumpet and a, uh, a torch, but put this jar on top so people can't see the torch. So, and then he tells them this, very significant. He says, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. What are we seeing here? Now is the full transformation. Here is a man who was afraid and crying like a little girl is now taking 300 men to take on army of tens of thousands. They don't have a snowball's chance in Hades of pulling this off. But yet he goes and with great confidence and he tells them follow me. Do what I do. When I do it, you do it. Take my lead. That's a manly man. Totally transformed. I'll tell you what. It's important, not so much what you say, but what you do. I know a lot of preachers, they don't say, watch me, follow my lead, do exactly what I do. They say, just do what I say, in spite of what I do. But this is not effective Christianity. We need men and women who can really live this thing and give an example to others. That's the kind of life I want to lead. That's the kind of life I want you to lead. So that people can say, you should be able to tell people, follow Jesus. Really, how do I do it? Do what I do. Live like me. Do it the way that I do it. And that will begin to spread. And that begins to change lives. See, I don't really care so much what you think. It's what you do. 
oftentimes I'll meet people for the first time and I don't know if they feel obligated to impress me with their biblical knowledge but they'll you know go on blah 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 this about the Bible this about the Bible and about three minutes all I'm literally hearing is blah 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 because I'm not listening to them and uh, but I keep smiling and and they're just blah 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 and and I don't care I don't care what you think I'm not impressed by how much Bible you know I, I'm honestly not you know what I look I look at how you treat your wife. That's what I look at. I look at your children. How do they respond to you? How do they behave? What kind of a family life do you have? See, because if you can live this stuff at home, then it's real. If you can't, as far as I'm concerned, you're full of baloney. And I'm just unimpressed. Sad to say, if some of you knew, and I won't say names here because out of respect and I don't want to freak people out, but if, man, if some of you knew who watched some of these television preachers and stuff had any idea how terrible some of these guys' marriages were, man, you'd, you'd get so discouraged you'd become a Buddhist. I'm telling you, a lot of these guys, they talk a great talk, but they can't live it. They divorce their wives, they're committing adultery, they're doing all kinds of things, but they sound very spiritual. And you know, they got so much knowledge. And and I'm telling you, I look at these guys, and I know people who know them personally, and know what kind of lives they live, but they're still thrilled by what they say. I don't care what you say. I just don't care. If you can't live this at home, you can't live this. It is time that we start having real, common sense Christianity. If you can't be real, then shut up. So he says, follow my lead, do exactly what I do. When I and all those who are with me, my hundred guys are on me, will blow uh, our trumpets. Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now he's feeling pretty good about himself. Get my name in there too. All right, he's going for this. Well, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch. It's the middle of the night, just as they changed the guard. Then they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars. The effect was like turning on a light switch. Remember, they didn't have lights. But they're all hiding the the flames under these jars. And then when they get out there, boom, all of a sudden, all these lights pop on. Well, the guys who are in the camp just freak. Because typically, you have one trumpet for how many people and one lamp for how many people. And all of a sudden, they look up and all they see is hundreds of lamps and trumpets, and hearing hundreds of trumpets. They're assuming there is this gigantic army after them. They have no idea it's just 300 guys. I mean, this is a brilliant move that Gideon pulls off here. It says, while each one held their position around the camp, all the Midianites ran and crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And the army fled to Beth. Shittah towards Zerorah as far as the border of Abel Mohalah near Tabath which is just just south of Depeer over there <laughs> so these guys rout this army they go running and screaming for their lives in their confusion they start killing each other guys are dropping like flies they have no idea if they would just turn around there's just 300 guys with trumpets and flames coming after them and and they destroy the entire army this is one of the most lopsided military victories in the history of mankind 300 guys the other 300 died those are greeks these guys won 
The guys who followed the Lord won and routed this army. Fabulous what they did. And I love this. Now this next thing is Judges, uh, the next chapter right away. Now the Ephraimites heard what had happened. They had this great, incredible victory. So then they get mad at Gideon. And they say, why, why have you treated like this? Why didn't you call us when you want to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. You know, it's interesting. When you start winning, then everybody wants on. You see, when they find out what a great victory they had and what glory were coming to these 300 men. I mean, who's pulled off anything? No one's ever pulled off a, a, a thing like this. Never have before, never have since. And these guys did this thing. And these guys were mad. How come we didn't get in on this? Yeah, where were you? You know, everybody else was leaving town. They were all nervous. Now, these guys were mad because they didn't get in on, on the goods. I'll tell you what. It's easy to give to something that's succeeding. It's easy to get behind something that has some meat on it. I, 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 I'm telling you, I truly believe someday huge resources, if we will stay humble before God and do what he's called us to do, someday huge resources are going to pour into this church from all over the country as, as lives are going to be transformed. Because they'll see. They'll see the results and success brings success. When you start succeeding, other people jump on the bandwagon. But what's really difficult... Is to believe in something that you haven't seen yet. To get behind a dream. To get behind a vision. That takes faith. It was easy for everyone else to get in on the party. But those first 300 men. Whoa. That was something. What I've been challenging you for the last month. As we've been doing our campaign. Is to believe in a vision that you haven't really seen yet. To believe in doing something that's never been quite done this way. All year we've been laying the foundation for what we're doing. Approaching church in a different way and from a different perspective. Where we don't care who you are. We don't care how much money you got. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your status is in life. That we can gather together and build a church that's not about one guy. That freaks some people out. You know, the, the way that we do church here is most churches is all about the pastor. And it's all whoever the senior pastor is. And no matter what happens, you've got to be able to talk to the pastor and get counseled by the pastor and, and touch the pastor. And it's, it's all about the pastor. i got to touch the pastor. And we're saying, no, no, no. What if church wasn't like that anymore? What if it's not about one guy? What if it's about the kingdom of God? What if it's about Jesus? There's a concept. And about men and women who, who were banding together to minister and touch people's lives. I promise you, I don't care what your need is you ever call this church in need 24 hours a day 365 days a year there's somebody here to help you we are there for you but it won't always be me it doesn't always have to be the one guy we're doing something that really is new it's different starting churches and putting campuses around talk about not being able to touch the pastor these guys just see me by video (laughs) they can't even see me in 3d but yet it's blessing them they're growing. They're touching. Why are those churches growing? Why are we touching lives? Because it's not about one guy. It's not about the old way of doing church. We're doing something new. Now, it freaks some people out. I get it. There's a very small minority, and a lot of them, for the most part, aren't with us anymore, uh, both uh, in the church in Point and, and here, the ones that didn't like that, because it just freaks them out. And you know, Jesus said, you can't stick new wine into old wineskins. There are some people, they're just old, crinkled, dried up wineskins. They, they are. God love them. God love them. But man, you put something new in them. They just crack and they're just leaking out the sides all the time. And they don't like it. And they can't handle it. Oh, that's okay. Bless you. There's lots of places where you can do what's been done for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
What if we did church a different way? What if everybody didn't have to agree about every little puking thing in the church? What if we didn't have to all be from the same side of town? What if people from the west side of Green Bay could actually come to church over here? What a radical concept. What is it with that anyway? Have you noticed that in this town? The west side is like the river is like this gigantic wall. They can live on the edge of the river and say, well, I can't go to the other side of the river. Very bizarre. I don't know. I don't get it. It's a, a Green Bay thing. But uh, we don't care what side of the river you're from. <laughs> we don't care if you don't even know where the river is. <laughs> you are welcome here, man. What I've been encouraging people is to become part of the 300. Remember the thousands on the fringe, they, they couldn't pull this off. And it'll always be that way. It'll always be by a core of people. And there's lots of you who've been coming to church. Some of you, you're fairly new here and you're still kind of on the fringe. That's okay. And those of you who are part of the core, don't get mad at those because they don't all jump in at the same level of commitment. It'll always be that. But what we want to do is get, allow the Holy Spirit to push you in so you become part of the core. So the core keeps growing and the outside keeps growing and the core keeps growing. And the outside. That's how you build a church. Everybody's not there right away. But let me challenge you to become part of the core. These 300, if you will, who took a vision, believed in something, got behind something, and did something that had never been done before. There are people who hear the phrase, never done before, and it makes them nervous. And there's others when you say, it's never been done before, and their eyes open up, and there's a sparkle in their eye. And those are the ones of you that I want. The ones who hear, never done before, go, cool. Let's do something that's never been done before. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's be practical. Let's change the world for Jesus Christ. Be a vital part of the body of Christ. You know, the, the Paul in the New Testament talks about the church being like a body. And we're all different members of the body and stuff like that. What I'm trying to encourage you is be a vital part of the body. Just don't be a fingernail. Don't just be hair. Because you can cut that stuff off and nobody really minds. In fact, sometimes cutting it off makes you look better. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. There you go. Don't, don't be something frivolous. And, and, and Even though it's part of the body, you know, it's not a vital part of the body. Be a vital part. Be a gizzard. Be an innard. You say, well, I want to be the face. You know, the face is, you know... Those of us up here, we're the face. But, you know, you don't need a face to live. There's people, their faces are all messed up. They still live. You can, you, don't have to, you can live without an ear. You can live without a nose. You can't live without your gizzards. Your heart stops. That's a bad day for you. You hear me? Be a liver. Be a spleen. Sign up today. Be, be something vital. Be part of the core. Be... The 300, be one of those that says, I, I want to be a world changer, a life changer, a direction changer, and, and be part of that, not just a peripheral part. You might be a peripheral part today, but let God push you to something of significance. I'm going to invite our ushers to come and uh, our musicians to come back up. We'll get ready for our time of communion this morning. You know, the, the Bible teaches us that uh, it says that we were bought at a great cost. We were redeemed. We were rescued. 
by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what Christianity is all about. That's why we celebrate communion. Without the cross, this means nothing. Without the cross, we're doomed. There's no salvation for those without the cross. It was through Jesus' sacrifice. Remember John the Baptist when he saw Jesus. The first thing he said is, Behold, look, check it out. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who gave himself. You see, God loved us so much. He gave more than time, more than effort, more than money. He gave his very self so that we could have eternal life. When we take communion, it's about reflecting on that great price that was paid for us. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So my question to you this morning as we get ready to have communion is, have you put your faith in that sacrifice? Have you put your faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? If you're willing to turn away from the wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ, you can begin your life of faith this morning. Now, that's a significant part. If you're willing to turn away from the wrong and start doing right. See, there's a lot of people today, their idea of Christianity is just believing. Well, I believe. I believe they still cheat, lie, get drunk, commit adultery, fornicate. But but I believe. I'm a believer. Well, whoop de stinking do. The devil believes. Not going to do him any good. It's more than believing, people. It's a willingness to turn away from what you know is wrong. The Bible calls it repenting. You need to repent. And then come to God. Now you don't earn it by repenting. But you need to do it. But then you come to God with an open heart and say. I want to start a new life. I want to turn away from the wrong. I want to do what's right. And if you'll come to God with an open heart. Willing to surrender to him. Whatever he asks of you. Whatever the directions are. For the cotton candy machine of your life. And say God I just want to do it the right way. If you will do that. You can have a wonderful experience with God this morning. I'd like you to bow your heads in a word of prayer. We're going to pray together. And I invite you to pray this prayer with us. I'm going to invite everybody to pray. But if you've never prayed a prayer like this, if you'll mean this, you can have and experience God's love and grace in your life. Let's pray this. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross. And took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.